0: Out here in the perimeter there are no stars Out here we is stoned, immaculate
1: Hello and welcome, this is The C86 Show, I'm David Eastall As you know we love a special guest This week it's going to be the turn of the Stoke-on-Trent indie band It is the one and only The Rose Hips Who uh, existed between 1986 to 1989 because I spoke to guitarist and songwriter Glenn Airy very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, all the other groovy stuff. Anyway, they had various releases on the Subway Organisation and then had various other releases on such labels as Sweet William, Chaotic Brilliance. So, this is the interview with Glenn. So, after several minutes of casual but interesting chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Which Glenn is gonna tell us all about and tell us now. Anyway, Glenn, it is over to you.
0: Um, well, I was born towards the end of nineteen sixty five, so uh, probably eighteen months, couple of years in it, and I'm um and and I was I was a, a big pop fan. I kind of most of my uh teenage or, or pre teenage years, I suppose. It was just I just liked whatever was in the charts, you know. Um or, or a half of what was in the charts, yes. without being particularly um, selective about it. I did like all the glam groups, of course, because they, they were basically designed for <laughs> ten-year-old kids, weren't they? You know. You know. Um, the, the, and I've got to say, it was really when I, it was when I heard about the Sex Pistols, actually, that I thought, well, that's not that's kind of pop music, but but obviously not quite right, <laughs> and um, and 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 i i suppose even i mean i was i was 10 or 11 so i was too young to understand it, it on any level really um but the, the, that was the first time that i thought gosh how exciting that is as opposed to just um glamorous and colorful and fun kind of thing
2: yes um
0: uh, I, I i mean my favorite groups were like, uh, mud and the Glitter Band and, and Sweet and <laughs> all the obvious ones, really. Well, yeah. I didn't really a... have many records until punk came along. I mean, I, I didn't have enough money anyway to go buying records, but uh, yes, I'd play my parents' compilation albums and things like that. You oh, know?
1: yeah. So were your parents quite into, you know, were they? did they have a musical passion at they, all?
0: Not especially. Um, my, my dad's record, he had a huge record collection, but it was mostly classical and jazz records. But there were always a few um, pop Soul and pop compilations knocking around actually because I had older sisters uh, and they were more interested and, and my dad did share an interest with my uh, in soul music with my oldest sister so um, every now and again you know I'd, uh, I'd I'd pop one of these compilations on and it, it might be you know the hits of 1972 or something like that and so you'd get David Bowie and Roxy Music and Slade and um, so that, that and, and when you're that age you just you play records over and over again quite happily don't
1: you you don't get bored of them no absolutely no it was it was that thing i mean we we didn't really have many records in the house in the late 60s because i think my parents had sort of sold all their possessions you know being that kind of working class background Mm -hmm. to buy a bungalow of some description and then you know a record player appeared and then a few compilations and then i've got an older brother who who had a bit of a fondness for sort of prog rock, which was interesting, because he was seven Mm. years older than me. But he also had a couple of albums which I was mesmerised by. One, Sergeant Pepper, and the other one... Goodbye Yellow mm. Brick Road, which I found quite fascinating, really, because there was so much, you know, mm. s- the songs on there were just so amazing. So, um, yes, yeah. they, they've kind of stuck with me ever since, really. But yeah, they. Mm. But there was also because my mum used to have Radio Two on. I, I do have a sort of yeah. fondness for things like the Carpenters, and
0: that's right. Radio was a very, very big thing. Yeah, the radio was on all the time. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, so Radio Two and uh, Jimmy Young. What's the recipe today? Jimmy was always kind of that's an exciting right, yeah. moment. Junior
0: um, Choice on a, on a Saturday morning.
1: Yeah, and obviously the kind of fondness. Ed,
0: Hughes and Tony
1: Blackburn. Yeah, <laughs> I know that was that was amazing. And also there was um, the you know, sort of religious thing of kind of top of the pops, and then the charts on a mm. Sunday, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, late afternoon, early evening, which was kind of exciting because you That's know right, music yeah. kind of they they Finger... kind of it changed so slowly, didn't they? A record would go up four places or down That's two right, places.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes, there was none of this. In at number one, well, very, very, very rarely. Yeah, absolutely. Taping finger poised over the pause button, as they say. Yes,
1: that kind of. This is true, I know. Sometimes just through the air as well, so you had that anticipation that someone would walk into the room. So um, (laughs) it was all very good.
0: Tea's ready, all that. Yes,
1: it was all very good. So when did you get a a musical instrument? When did that sort of appear in your life?
0: Um, I bought a guitar in about a uh, second hand I mean you can imagine i mean it was it was it was a pretty decrepit thing in about early eighties i think um I learned to play it uh, to the extent that I could, which it w- was never very well at all um just in a in a day or two when I was on the dole in about nineteen eighty three i think right so hang on yes yeah, 80, 83, that sounds about right um and and I had a bit of a, a sort of um, eureka moment where, after after spending months just plucking away at it, not really grasping the theory at all, um, I had a bit of a eureka moment when I I, I, I made bar chords work, I think, or or, or or I made the chord changing just fell into place as a fairly natural thing. Now, as I say, I'm only talking about kind of three three or four chords, but that, but that was enough, you know. Yes. Uh and um so that would have been early 80s yeah. Um not a, my dad was a musician my, my dad was a had been a saxophonist in London he had a jazz trio um a long time before I came along. Um but I mean that's proper music you know. I, <laughs> I just learned to bash out three or four chords on an yes. on, a, on a, an electric guitar with a with a poxy little I don't think I even had an amp. I think I just plugged it into, like, an old radio or something
1: like that. That sounds right, yes. I mean, it was all very... uh, There was an amazing lack of money during that period, really. So Mm. um, it was interesting. But then, sort of, um, kind of 1979, Thatcher gets in, dear old Margaret, and then Mm. we have the Conservative government for the next million years. But um, then there's the sort of the the Falkland War, then there was the sort of miners' strike, there was Green in Common and Mm. uh, all that kind of, uh, yes, nuclear, the idea of nuclear war kind of sort of on the horizon and getting right, yeah. kind of uh, a bit hysterical. Yeah, the, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned the minor strike, but it was all very kind of angsty during that period. Did you uh, leave yeah. school around 82, 83 then?
0: Uh, uh, I left my, yeah, I did my O-levels in um, 1982 and um, sort of loafed around at college for a couple of years, not really, heart not in it, and drifted onto the dole for a year or two. Yes. Uh, which is when I, uh, and, and friends of mine as well, we all kind of learned to play, it, play in inverted commas, uh, musical instruments around about that same time. I mean, that was, that was one good thing about being on the dole, really. You had that bit of breathing space um, and everyone did it, didn't they? Really, you had a, a kind of—it was like the equivalent of a gap year, you have a, <laughs> yes. a year or two on the doll And people did quite um, constructive things with that time, you know, as I remember it. I mean, it, I mean, I didn't find a cure for cancer or anything, but but uh, you kind of keep you kept yourself busy. Do fan and, and people were doing fanzines and sorting bands and.
1: Yes. Well, what is
0: it? That's where a lot of that creativity came from. People having that tiny, tiny bit of money and a a little bit, and, and quite a lot of time, I suppose.
1: Yes, well, quite a lot of time. Because, well, it was interesting because, um, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning, there was an awful lot of indie bands and quite a lot of creativity. Now, this is kind of quite a simplistic view of the world here. But as you mentioned, the unemployment thing, it didn't seem... I mean, it seemed inevitable that you would be unemployed and claiming you know, some sort of uh, benefit during that period of your life. And it didn't have any particular... Bad stigma to you. it was almost the right of passage, but then there was no, also right, and there was also the job seekers' allowance and enterprise allowance mm. schemes which gave people the opportunity to become self employed for a year yeah, um, yeah and that kind of gave you the money which i don 't know was about thirty five pound and fifty p but the housing benefit and council tax paid and actually it then was another kind of year just to uh, Slightly loaf about, and you know, drink too much. Yeah. But but the, for some people, you know, playing in a band. But also, there were the gatekeepers, like you know, John Peel and the NME, mm. Melody Maker, Sounds, and it was, there was almost an. A, a, sort of, in a again, kind of quiet and simplistic world. Um, you know, there was like, oh, we could make a record and it's not that mysterious anymore. We just give it to John Peel and hopefully he'll play it. And then, wow, we've got right, a John yeah. Peel session and then, wow, you know, Will Marks will do an album and, you know, and every little town, city in the UK would have an alternative indie night. Um, uh, absolutely, yeah. So you could get your transit van and suddenly get on the road. So there was a sort of, a uh, little bit of a sort of, I wouldn't say entrepreneurial spirit, but, you know, a creative kind of excitement that... Um, that Yeah,
0: you know, absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah. So that that kind of also helped. So, but for me, you know, there was that sort of punk, and then there was the post-punk period, and then sort of there was the kind of blitz kids and new romantic stuff, which I find mm-hmm. very difficult to cope with on many levels but then there was kind of the the birth of, you know, for me 83 was the year of the Smiths and then from mm. then on it was kind of seven um, from then for five years to 87, you know, the Smiths were this kind of moment really, I mean there was all the other scenes that were going on from goth to, I don't know, New Paisley or, you know, the sort of mods <laughs> and right. stuff like that. There wasn't, yeah, I mean, there was the, the various books have come out, one by Sam Neill about sort of the tribes of that time, which I didn't realise there were quite so many. But obviously, for mm. me, you know, indie pop was kind of a thing which I kind of adored. And there was bands, you know, as I mentioned, the Smiths, but the June Brides and Yeah, Yeah, No, the Wolfhounds, the Absolutely Go-Betweens, the Triffids. So did you, during that period, was that, as you, the unemployed angsty artist. Did, were you sort of dreaming of being in a band?
0: Um, <clears throat> I never ha- had any uh, burning ambition, to be honest with you, David. It, um, it was more a kind of thing that m- my mates and I fell into. I mean, like, I, we grew up in um, this kind of... It's a, it's a self-contained village, really, in the, in the south of Stoke-on-Trent, um, which is a... Which isn't one of the, the bigger cities in any case, and so we and so we were on the edge of that. Uh, and just demographically speaking, for whatever reason, there was there was hundreds of kids growing up at the same time in this in this kind of uh, village. It's where, it's where the Wedgwood factory is, um, and we just sort of started on the dole, basically, um, playing around with instruments um, and. We all listened to John Peel and we all went to see a lot of those bands so uh, but 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 it wasn't with a view necessarily to us uh, doing it ourselves you know we kind of we, we stumbled into it really rather than setting out we didn't have a master plan <laughs> as you can tell yes um but and 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 eventually we we kind of, I, I, we were, we, we had two or three or four, I forget now, various combinations of just tinkering around, trying to copy groups that we liked, I suppose, just for our own amusement. And then we heard, um, well, we heard the Jesus and Mary chain, first of all, uh, and then fairly quick on the heels of that came the shop assistants, and we thought... Like a lot of other bands, clearly did with hindsight. Um, oh, that sounds easy to do, you know. <laughs> now it is e- it is relatively easy to sound to approximate the sound of the shop assistants because it's, it's a pretty simple sound. But of course, it's being as good as the shop assistants is uh, a different matter, and and I don't think anybody ever quite managed that.
1: No, no. I mean, they. they I do remember going and buying their sort of um, full track. Single, I do believe, which
0: right, yeah, oh, yes, you will have done, I'm sure Sub- subway records probably yeah that's right, and, uh, yes. and we um and so that's when we started, when we realized that you could write songs that you know, I mean, the shop assistants probably wouldn't have it as a B-side, but, but in theory, it, it, it was a song. You know, and so we and so we started writing loads, and then we started thinking, oh, so you can be in a group after all, kind of thing. You know.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And your lineup, I mean, it was a kind of a bit of a classic '80s lineup as well, wasn't it? Because yeah. you had the um, the female, you know, front. That's of the
0: right. Front. Yeah, which again was the kind of thing. Which, which let's face it, we did probably nicked that off the shop assistants as well um at the same time as loads of other bands and so six or 12 months down the line everyone looked around and and, and thought hang on everyone's got the same line up here it's, a, it's already a cliche kind of thing but uh, um everyone had the same idea at the same time that the idea being let's rip off the shop assistants probably
1: right yes that, that's a good one and also sometimes <laughs> it's a sort of I don't know, you only have so many people you can play with in life and... Um... That's
0: right, yeah, it's a small pool. I mean, we, as I say, we, like most groups probably, we emerged from what you could call a scene, which was the people who went on to make up three or four different bands all kind of swirling around in, in different combinations for a while and, and then some people, I suppose, just click better than other combinations and... Um, and they're the ones that you, that, that stick. Yes. You know, from our from our little pool, there was two or three really good bands um, emerged. You know, playing very different styles of music, which is interesting. You know, there was, was like a real great hardcore band, uh, uh, hardcore punk band, and and, and the, the Rosehips doing sort of indie pop yes. uh, music, and a more uh, a, a more trad rock kind of group. All, all formed from people who'd. Just been um, mixing and matching for yes. months, you know, trying out different things. And
1: uh... there you go. That's good. So then you, you did the lineup. There was yourself, Anton, bass. You had two marks on drums, but obviously not at the same time.
0: Uh, that's no. Uh, we, 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 we would have loved to have had two drums, but uh, <laughs> uh, we like groups with two drums. But yeah, but that, yeah, that's right. So there was yo, Ant, me, and Mark. Mark one, as we called him. Yes. Uh, for the first couple of years, first couple of records and then um, uh, and then mark was was replaced by a different mark on drums, and we also added a uh, rocker uh, from the flatmates he was He was the drummer in the flatmates, but he joined the Rose hips as a keyboard player, yes.
2: and we also added a
0: second guitarist who was Pete. Yeah, that was probably... That all happened, I expect, suppose, late 87 or 88, something like that.
1: Yes, you mm. came along at that kind of... It was kind of an interesting change in, in sort of the scene. I hadn't really appreciated it quite so much, but I, I realised that there's this... Every, I don't know, five years, there's a little bit of a shift, isn't there? Another chap, a small chapter appears. I think mm. it's the next wave of 16 to 18-year-olds come along and they are looking Aye, to probably. discover their next band. So you, you, you formed in sort of, was it 86 then you came together?
0: Uh, 85, I think, probably, that line-up. Um, and that's the first sort of combination. Um, and as I say... That was, because it was hearing, the. it must have been 1985, because it was hearing the Shop Assistant's uh, yes. record in 1985. Um, and basically, we, we dispatched Mark, the drummer, up to the, the youth club and said, see if there's any young girls who fancy joining a pop group. <laughs> 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 Which sounds really seedy now, but it, it didn't feel like that at the time because we were all very young ourselves, obviously.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so Yo was the one who came forward.
0: That's right, yeah. Now, she wasn't called Yo then, but I can't, I, I better not tell you her... Um, real name. A real name. Or no, or she's
1: like probably... She... <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, it's yes, very did, exciting, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Great.
0: She was only about 16, I suppose. She might not even have been, I suppose she must have been 15 or 16, I suppose.
1: Well, you do look incredibly young, actually. Mm. I've sort of been looking at that picture mm, really. on the discography page, and um, it's very very sort of, it, well you know it's definitely from a previous period isn't it but I mean it could be mm. I mean it's quite sort of um, yes, I don't know Look, I suppose there was a lot of kind of those punk, post-punk, squat, squat bands, so there is a sort of element of sort of Slightly sort of unkempt hair and sort of ruffled kind of Both clothes. Very scruffy, yeah, Really yeah. scruffy. Yeah. My God. No,
0: no stage outfits or anything like that. No,
1: <laughs> but then you know there was there was the whole Red Wedge world, and there had been sort of all the squat punk and you know um, anarchist scene has uh, had sort of crept up at that time. Red Wedge, obviously. So mm. yes, it was it was all good. Did, did it click? Did Did yo say yeah? This is fantastic. Um, we love it. I'm I'm part um, of the band
0: well we, it was a, it was a, it was all completely new to her um, and I don't you with the best will in the world, you probably wouldn't say she took to it especially naturally, but she was very keen to to keep trying and and make it work and none of us knew how to we, we could we could write a song but but writing a song's a lot easier than necessarily turning it into a reality do you know what I mean yes. and, and especially with somebody who even less than the rest, even less experienced than the rest of us, you know. Um, so it was very much kind of uh, holding her hand and leading her through the, the kind of, I, I, I suppose we must do it, give this a try, I suppose I suppose people must just do this. And so, like, for example, I, I might um, pick out the melody of the, the the vocal line that I've got in my mind, uh, on the guitar and and just get her to sing along with it, you know, and and with either words that I'd written or that she'd written, yes. And just the, the mechanics of it, you know, it, until you sit down to um and and scratch your head and think about it. It's um, everyone's probably got different ways of doing it, but she was, as I say, she persevered with it. Yeah, fantastic. And, um, the, we ended up sounding all right in the end. Yeah. Apologies for my dog, incidentally, if you can hear him in the. Uh, Playing around in the background, he's he's probably ready for his walk, but I yes. have to wait a minute. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, did you your first single um, "Room in Your Heart" and then you hmm. followed that up with "I Shouldn't Have to Say"? These were both on the Subway Organization. Did That's you manage right, yeah. to get signed quite easily at that stage?
0: Yeah, we did. Um, we did a, a, a demo tape at a local studio and sent it to. Um, we I think we only sent it to two or three labels. Uh, creation at the time was an obvious one. Before you know, it, it, I mean, Creation was a uh, was very cool label, um, uh, and, and you'll remember it wasn't anything like the the, the Giants it became.
1: No, God, it was very different. Their roster different, during yeah. the 80s is quite bonkers or or yeah, boggling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, brilliant. I mean, kind of brilliantly creative. I mean, I didn't realise yeah, Mo- I didn't yeah. realise Moma's had been on it, and there was some exactly. other.
0: That's right. Incredibly. I love those. We, we all love those creation singles, you know, the, the Jasmine Minks and um, and the Legend and the Pastels and so on. So we sent a, a tape to creation, a tape to Subway uh, organization, which was the address we'd had off the back of the shop assistant single, which was quite fitting, I suppose. Yes.
2: Um,
0: and we might not have even sent any more. It was um, b- because it, it was music that was so obviously created with. Those labels in mind. Do you know what? I don't mean in a cynical way, but I just mean in it. It was so, the music was so kind of limited that it wasn't. It was never going to be. There wasn't. wasn't much point sending it off to dozens of record labels. Do you know what I mean? No. And so Subway came straight back. Yeah, and um, they invited us to go and support the Flatmates in Bristol. Uh, Martin Whitehead, who ran the Subway organisation, was the guitarist and songwriter in the flatmates so we went down to bristol to support them at the tropic club and, and and it turned out he was just kind of he wanted to have a look at us and so after we'd played he came over and said that's great i want you to do two singles for me sort of thing so it did it was like landed in our laps yeah absolutely
1: yes and you recorded was this the first time you were in the studio was this in um was it star trek Track studio Stoke on Trent, or was this
0: Star Track? Was where we did a demo, I think. Um, and oh, that's right. Martin wanted to ta- use a track off that demo to put on a subway compilation album, like right? Subway to your suburb, and that was recorded at Star Track. Yeah, mm. which is still going strong down in uh, down the road in Stoke. It's um, kind of rehearsal rooms, and I don't think they do much recording these days, but yeah, still a very busy re- rehearsals uh, space. But it was it and, was. Uh,
1: December '86 wasn't it? You went to Sam Studios in Bristol to record yeah. the bulk of your material.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, Room in Your Heart and things like that, I think. Does that, is that, was that right? December 1986? Yes. I'm, uh, I'm well. um, sooty from the... Sorry, the dog's playing with a squeaky toy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sooty from the Vice Squad. If you remember Becky Bondage and Vice Squad. No. Um, the, the engineer who worked at... Was it called Sub? What did you you say the name of the studio, Dave? Yeah,
1: it was Sam Sam, S. That's right,
0: S A M. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, Sutty was was the engineer there, and we did, I think, we did six tracks which form made up a kind of 12 inch version of the EP, and then probably three of them on the on the seven inch, I think, yeah, yes.
1: And as you were as 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 the band were coming, was this all everyone's kind of full time passion at this stage?
0: No, not really. Um I mean I had a, a a proper job, a really boring job. Uh Yo was very much a student still. Mm-hmm. And was I think Ant was kind of um he he <laughs> he's gone now, bless him. He passed away in twenty ten um now he and he went on to have um a, a much more interesting music career in some ways, which I can t- tell you about in a moment if you like yeah. but uh, the, when the rose hips were sort of starting he uh, and and evolving as we've said he 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 did kind of live and breathe it because he 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 wasn't one for getting a job if he didn't particularly want one, so he spent most of his days um learning to play the guitar properly for one thing, unlike me. And um, and dealing with whatever gigs that were coming along and, and fanzines and all that kind of.
1: Stuff. Yes.
0: Uh, and Mark, the drummer at that time, he was he was still super young as well. So he was just he was basically in the sixth form, I think, or something like. That.
1: Excellent. This is good. So what happens to what happened to Ant then? Why did his musical career?
0: Well, Ant and Mark, uh, Mark two, the yes. drummer in the in the Rose Hibs, they were by anyone's reckoning very talented musicians and they took and and as a result of that really I suppose they took it a lot more seriously in some ways and yeah. they evolved concurrently with the Rose Hips they, were, they, they you know they didn't leave the Rose Hips to start another band but they uh, running in parallel they were in the Venus Beads who I don't know whether you remember the Venus Beads or not but in the early 90s they made quite a splash they were a kind of Um, post-hardcore kind of uh, indie rock Huskadoo influenced band and they toured Europe uh, uh, with the Rollings band I think and and they toured with Sugar Bob Mould's band.
1: Oh yes I remember Sugar
0: and they got um, and they never quite they made some marvellous records for for one or two different labels a couple of albums Um, they 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 never made it as big as they probably deserved to, to be honest.
2: But yeah. uh,
0: as I say, that was a much more serious musical proposition as opposed to, to to the Rose Hips being a bit of a bedroom band by comparison, you know.
1: Yes. Well also um what is a tricky one? And they were the rhythm section, so obviously they went together well, didn't they? So mm, they obviously right, yeah, got the yeah. chemistry of you know that mm. great combination. Yes. Yeah, so then, as 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 you sort of did your two singles for the Subway Organization, sort of eighty seven, which I still think is one of the great years of music. So eighty six mm. is also mm. pretty amazing. Then what happens with the band after that? Do you then? I mean, you've got another sort of EP that comes out, but that's in sympathy for the rose hips, which is a twelve-track
0: EP. That's right. Yeah. Well, it's funny you you mentioned um, uh, enterprise allowance schemes and things like that, didn't you earlier on? Yeah. And um, the the deal with Subway came to an end. Subway. Um, that basically they 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 were they were just putting out ones and twos of, of, of singles by groups at that time without committing. Uh, to anything beyond that, really, because I, I don't think they, uh, I don't think the funds were there. No. Basically, I mean,
1: yeah, you're talking about enterprise alliance schemes and saying that Subway yeah. had sort of gone a bit free. Really.
0: That's that's right. Well, working with Subway gave us a kind of idea of how, on a basic level, indie labels worked in conjunction with their distribu- distributors. You see, the, yes, uh, uh, Revolver being the Bristol arm of the cartel at the time. So oh, yes. I think Ant especially knew one or two of the guys at Revolver. And so when the thing at Subway came to its natural end, um, Ant was put into the Enterprise Allowance Scheme to start a record um, label, basically just to put out a, a, a Rose Hips you know. Yes. And, uh, and, and he did that in conjunction with Revolver, uh, the distribution. Uh, people in Bristol. And he called his label Chaotic Brilliance, which we, was something we took up from the back of a Membranes record, a Membranes album sleeve. And so for the funding of that third EP, which musically is a lot more uh, adventurous, really, and um, a bit more going on more um, instrumentation and stuff uh he got funding for that through the enterprise allowance scheme, yeah, I think you had to show that you had a thousand pounds in your yes. balance, which and everybody did the same thing. They borrowed a thousand pounds off an auntie or something uh and and printed off a bank statement and then paid the auntie back, <laughs> back the <laughs> next day. yeah, um, it was very and strange it worked, that yes. Yeah.
1: So that was Chaotic Brilliance, that sort of sprung yeah. into, into action, actually. Did it, um, I was just looking, that was the only release you did, wasn't it?
0: It was, yeah. Uh, and, and then, uh, that was well, that was the only other release while we were still going. And then in the early 90s, um, a label put out, Another single, Bloodstained Fur, which was probably, most people seem to think it's the best um, thing we ever did, and I tend to agree. Yes. But that didn't come out until a year, well, a couple of years after we'd packed up.
1: But that was, um, yeah, quite interesting. So when did you, because you went to, you sort of split um, 89. Was that a kind Mm. of. Was that just kind of everything kind of slowly puttering out and thinking? Yeah, it
0: was was really. I mean, as I say, Mark and Ant were uh, getting busier, getting more into doing the Venus beads, which is fine, because that was, as I say, they were taking it a lot more seriously than the rest of us, really. Yes. And I suppose I'd just... um, I'd fulfilled my um, limited ambitions of being played by John Peel and going into a record shop and seeing your record in there and things like that. Yeah, Little things, but meant a lot.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so
0: I I didn't really have any, as I say, burning ambitions beyond that, you know, so it came to a natural sort of end, really. And you find yourself spending hours travelling up and down the motorway for a, a... playing for half an hour, kind of, and the novelty wears off after a little while.
1: Yes, fun. it's not a great <laughs> diet, is it, really, let's face no, it. No, it certainly
0: isn't a great diet, too much... Too much booze for
1: one thing. yes, I know most people just can't you know it's um it kind of you know, and there was a band who I think it was either the loop or the i think it was loop talking about sort of wearing plastic bags around their feet for shoes because they were still so broke so and being mm. in a transit van with no heater and yeah yeah it was... and, and, it, and
0: that's right and, the, and there's ne- there's never been uh, certainly wasn't i mean it's probably even less now, but there wasn't much money in any of this you know it was it was kind of it was tens of pounds, you know, it was just enough petrol, really, to get you probably from to your next gig and things like that. And I'm not knocking it, it was a great experience, but you're not going to do it forever, realistically, you know, unless things go up a level, as they did with the Venus bees. Yeah, well, people can't
1: believe how little money there was. There was two two interviews Mm. I did, one with Fast Lemmy, no, Fast Lemmy, Fast Eddie from Motorhead, who said that this was in the 70s, (coughs) that they had to sort of sabotage their van and get sort of picked up by the some friends kind of AA membership to get back because they had no money and no petrol. So it was like, well, we'll Mm -hmm. need to do some creative kind of... uh vandalism on this van to get home and then there was another it was the Wolfhounds went all the way to glasgow it realized the gig had been cancelled and then had to busk you know for several days wow. and, you know mm. and sleep on friends Crikey. you know or people's floors to get the money to come back from glasgow to back to london yeah. or essex so sleeping so, on floors there was a yes, lot of that yeah. there was it was like you you kind of can do it um, when you're very young really let's yeah you don't it. you don't worry too much when
0: you're 19 20 you know it's a, drunk it, anyway it's an
1: adventure but yeah no well, you it's not Forever, no, it's uh, it's the one thing. So, did you get to spin around the countryside quite a bit? Because the great thing with the UK is that it's such a small little country, and um, you can sort of go around and almost create what you could call a tour.
0: Yeah, we never did um, anything like a a lengthy tour, but we were never far from a gig, and we did try and bunch them together. Um, and we got pretty much all over the country. about into Scotland, uh, plenty in Wales, plenty in London, plenty in Bristol, uh, the East Midlands, Manchester, the West Midlands, East Anglia, couple of, a couple over there, Ipswich, uh, Ipswich and Norwich.
1: Did you play the Arts Centre in Norwich?
0: We did, yes. yes, Excellent. A couple of times, I think. Um, I, I, I don't know whether you know um, Andy Hackett from the Rocking Birds. Oh, yes. Andy put us on in Norwich a couple of times, yes. Yeah.
1: The Rocking Birds, they were one of the bands that really... That's quite interesting, because I think they they certainly were the band who made it quite big in the 90s, didn't they?
0: Yeah, early 90s, a country band, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, we never saw that one coming, did we? No. But...
0: <laughs> well, Andy, bless him, he's still a friend of mine today, Andy, yeah, and he, he put us on in Norwich a couple of times at the Arts Centre there, yeah.
1: Oh, God, that's fantastic. So then, what, I mean, you've had a compilation that came out and is now sort of available on Bandcamp, but this came out, you've put all your bits and pieces together. Oh, yes, that's the point. There's a track, track 20, which is quite unusual and quite mesmerising, A Slow, Painful Death. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, that was it. it This is on the uh, that compilation, yeah. That compilation. It was recorded, I think, as as a as a B-side for "Bloodstained Fur," if I remember rightly. I can't remember now, but um, and it was it was its full title. I think was "A Slow, Painful Death to Vivisectionists Everywhere." Yes. And Yo um, was and still is very ardent about animal rights, and she kind of recited. She wrote an essay, really, about. vivisection and and it's evils and she kind of read that out over that instrumental so if if the version you've heard is is just the instrumental yes then then that's um i'm not sure why the other version never got used it's so long ago now but yes it's got a kind of that that, that's me playing that twangy kind of guitar and we just we we enjoyed playing it so much that it we just didn't Stop the tapes! <laughs> yeah, I was longer than we intended.
1: I was, you know, listening away and thinking, "This is this is classic '80s indie pop," and then that, <laughs> and that and that track came on, and I was thinking oh, perhaps it's gone into another band. And he's like, "No, this is definitely the band." And it was just so, yeah. It's kind of very. It's very sort of. um not transcendental, but it's, it's quite an extraordinary piece of music. It's kind yeah,
0: of... Good. Yeah. I, I always like that one, yeah. Quite atmospheric, isn't it? And it's eight
1: minutes. It's basically prog isn't rock. It?
0: Blimey, yeah. As I say, we just enjoyed playing it, so we, 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 um, we let the tapes roll and just carried on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So then after the band... Oh, yeah, so you've got this compilation that came together... The Rose Hips, The Rose Hips. This was in, was it 2000 and... Uh, re- did a record label come and say, look?
0: Yeah, guy in Pennsylvania, I think.
1: This does Is happen.
0: Something like Squirrel Records or Secret uh, Records or something uh, like that. Is Secret Records
1: Pen- by Secret, Brian. Yeah. He sounds yeah. quite Welsh, actually, from his surname. But Pennsylvania, you he
0: was- I, I never met him or communicated with him, but he got in touch with Rocker, who by that stage... Um, had taken, for what it's worth, the kind of publishing rights um, for the stuff, and the guy. He, he, all I can remember is he was, I think, Pennsylvania. Yes, and got was. in touch and said it would be nice to gather this st- stuff together, you know, on a compilation. And so Rocker worked with him on that. And so that's pretty much everything I think that that was recorded. There might be one or two. Yes flexi discs and and odd little indie oddities that didn't and you've also got a
1: live there's a live album 1989 live there
0: is yeah rocker did that yeah i think that was in plymouth supporting the wedding present. it was a good night i remember yeah well
1: there's a great compilation so you're yeah i often wonder about the whole ownership of music and publishing so if someone has the publishing does that mean they own the music
0: um well it, as, as I understand it yes he, he what happened I think was basically when we packed up um it was probably rocker who was a bit more out of pocket than most because uh, he'd been paying for a lot of the petrol probably or something like yeah. that Yeah so um not to anyone's um there wasn't there wasn't any disagreement about it at all um he, we passed the, the the publishing over and, and it was uh, I mean, it, it, it was important uh, when we were a kind of going concern because every time John Peel or Janice Long or somebody plays you on the radio, you would get a cheque for a 30 or 40 quid. Yes. Um, and that's fine when those are coming in. That pays for a bit of petrol, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so so that it's literally that that keeps the band running, really, uh, at that kind of level that we were at. Um, but... Um, so I think yes, when things disintegrated, Rocker was probably the one who was most out of pocket. So we, we, uh, so he took that nominal kind of. I presume there is still a nominal kind of income if every now and again Gideon Co or somebody plays a record or uh, Cherry Red are forever putting out these compilations, aren't they? Of they are indie stuff, and we're on one or two of those. So. So hopefully Rocker gets a few quid uh, every now and again, but more importantly it means he can control who does what with the music which is how that compilation came about. Mm.
1: Yes, well no, it's good. And it's great that actually there are some quite obscure little labels. I mean, I know Cherry Red's the biggest of the the people who love to do reissues and also they do new stuff but there's there's one mm. label I think in New York called Cloudbury there's one in Germany That's called right. Fire Station and then mm. there's also um, one in Preston called Optic Nerve Records that started That's right, yeah. re- reissuing just, uh,
0: re- repackaged stuff really nicely. Yeah,
1: yeah I know it's brilliant and then there's another guy who started the precious recordings of London which are these Those John Peel sessions yeah, they're great, aren't they? Um, which is just fantastic I mean because it's such a labour of love but um, mm. yeah So it's brilliant that people are really sort of finding bands who never put an album out, but sort of putting out sort of four singles, or four EPs and thought, well, that's good enough for a compilation. We can we can work on that. So um, it has been I just think it's been brilliant. And I think in a way, when things happen, you know, we take it for granted. And then looking back. It's nice to archive it, and actually some of it is a lot better than I remember. So, Or, in my case, I've often discovered bands that I missed the first time, so that's been mm. quite useful, because mm-hmm. actually it was It was really... nice to
0: hear it with fresh ears after a few years off. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, absolutely. So then, after the band finishes, do you then just continue with your career, or do you occasionally pop back into the world of music?
0: Um, well, I had a very brief stint with a, a local band called Trouser Dog, who uh, were a um, very very funny, actually, um, kind of surrealist. Um, I suppose you could compare them to, to an extent, to The Fall and Half Man Half Biscuit and things like that. And I played keyboards for them for a a, a, a year or two in the about 2007, 2008, I think. But other than that, no, I haven't. Um, I don't think I've picked up a musical instrument at all. Really, It's um got it out. I must have got it out of my system.
1: Yes, well, absolutely. <laughs> Do you still have your guitar? Uh,
0: no, no. I've got an acoustic guitar, um, which I, I, I picked up at some point in between. But no, I. Funnily enough, the last gig the Rosets ever played was in Bristol with the Mega City 4, I think. And we knew it was going to be our last gig. And so I did the sad, cliche thing of smashing my guitar up at the end. Oh, wow. So so certainly that one uh, went west. I I did have more than one I think, but I don't know what happened to the others. But yes, this nice pink one, I remember um, it split down the middle. I chucked it onto the stage and it it split nicely down the middle just with the with the final chord of the final song of the final set, kind of thing.
1: My God, that's so dramatic! And I thought you were going to say you did your Ziggy Stardust, but um, oh, no. <laughs> you did Pete Townsend instead, which is fair enough. Yes. So is it the case that um, are you still a part? You know, obviously sad about losing your your bass player, but um, do you occasionally correspond with the other members of the band? At, um...
0: uh, yes, yes, we're all at, with with the 21st century, full of ways to keep in touch with everybody, everybody's still friends, and um, geographically a bit more scattered now.
1: Yes. But
0: is... yeah, we're all still in touch. Excellent. And uh, yes, we all miss Ant very much, that was uh, came as a, as a great shock, yes. uh, losing him, because he, he really was the life and soul of the thing, you know.
1: I know, that's, that is always hard. It's... I mean, if you were able to tell, you know, or or, or sort of whisper some advice to your 16-year-old self, okay. is there a, is there any kind of top tips you would have just kind of said, it, not necessarily just about music and creativity, but just kind of life in general that you thought, oh, that would have been really handy, even if you ignored that advice, whether you would have just said, yes, interesting.
0: What? Yeah. what... Um, well, it's difficult to... Because we're burdened down with so much extra experience now, (laughs) it's a strange question, really.
1: But I, I would. I I suppose it's that thing of like you sometimes reflect on things that's happened, and you thought, God, yeah, I wish I'd, I've I've learned that, that, or that's what I would have told myself when I was sixteen. From what you you know now, you know how you would have sort of navigated or you know maneuvered some of those periods.
0: I'll, I'll tell you what I probably would. Tell my 16 year old self, and this is this you could apply this to music or anything else, really. I would, and I've got my, my, the, the words of my father ringing in my ears when I say this is I would learn how to do something properly, <laughs> whether that's um, learn to play an instrument properly. I really wish I'd learned to play, for example, um, the piano. I'd love to be able to play the piano, yes, um, but in as, as general life advice. Learn a trade learn learn to do something properly, get good at something because i'm 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 passable at lots of things, but I'm not really good at anything. do you know what I mean, and that, that's because I never started taking anything seriously I've, I've just never taken anything seriously enough to learn to do it properly really. yeah. musically or anything else
1: <laughs> yeah I know it's actually interesting because i I think that's why slightly similar to what I would have said as well, you know like. Yeah, spend the first from twenty to 20, uh, from sixteen to twenty. Do do as many sort of courses and practical courses as you possibly could mm-hmm. to see mm-hmm. which one slightly sticks. And um, yeah, just be a bit more realistic, really.
0: Because of course you think you're going to get chance after chance, don't you? When you're sixteen, <laughs> and, yes. And life isn't like that, you know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I don't. I haven't got many regrets either you know i'm quite happy the way things turned out but um with hindsight i should have stuck at something until i was good at it and then you've always got it in your in your back pocket then haven't you
1: yeah you can slip it. yeah no that's nice um, that <laughs> yes <laughs> i think a lot of us felt like that but look this has been amazing thank you ever so much for your time for this yeah, and pleasure. um yes i'll definitely put this out and uh, yes i'm so pleased you're enjoying Animal House by James Brown, which has turned yeah, out to be excellent. a much more enjoyable read than I could have imagined, really. Yeah, re-
0: really. I'll, I shall get back to it now. Well, well, I'll take the dog for the yeah. walk and I'll get back
1: to it. Yeah, take the dog. <laughs> it's going to keep squeaking. Look, take care and thank you ever so much for this.
0: No problem, David. Thank take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 Bye
1: And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. I'm sure you would have uh, worked that one out. But anyway, that was a massive um, big thank you to Glenn Airy for giving me the time for that from the Rose Hips um, if you want to find out any more information, uh, there is a discography page and uh, I think various other releases on Cherry Red Records, but you'll have to check those out. Who knows? I'm just making this up now. Anyway, this has been the C86 Show, David East. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And all these have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week and stay safe.